Hello and welcome to the Doe Show, everyone. It's another beautiful day in whatever fucking town you're in. So uh, I am your host, Johnny P, as always. And uh, with me is the uh, I'll Fix It in Post, Ryan Burke, everyone. And with us as maybe sometimes is the unnicknamed so far because nothing sticks. We got Alex Mackley in the house today. Uh-huh. All right, guys. So uh, welcome to the Doe Show. Thanks for tuning in. Today, we're going to be talking a little bit about theme parks, about film, about writer strikes, and The Simpsons. But actually, we're not talking about any of those. But what do they all have in common? I guess you could say that it's all universal. From the top here, so in the uh, year of 1914, uh, during the First World War, a German-American immigrant named Carl Lemley, remember that, it's Lemley, Lemley, spelled L-A-E-M-M-L-E, pronounced Lemley, Carl Lemley. But during the First World War, he decided, you know, this is a this is the time to go and buy a place called Taylor Ranch in the San Fernando Valley. Because what better thing to do during a world war than start uh, Universal St- uh, City as a gigantic studio. And Universal uh, City was a gigantic studio with its own police and mayor and a fucking zoo. And don't forget all of the Native Americans living on the premises. All right, all right, all right. Enough about these Native Americans. What about this Carl fella? Okay, so Mr. Lemley, as he's called, uh, he immigrated to the United States in 1884, and he worked in none other than the beautiful city of Chicago for 20 years before he began buying Nickelodeons. Channels? What do you What do you mean a Nickelodeon? Like those plush towels? No, no, it's not plush. It's not plush towels. It's not about the. TV thing. Mackley, explain what a Nickelodeon is. Okay, so they were actually um, one of the first indoor exhibition spaces that are dedicated to showing projected motion pictures to pop up in the United States and Canada. And these, like, dominated and flourished the... uh, the cinema industry from about 1905 to 1915. And the thing that blows me away about this is like, how the fuck is this the first I'm hearing about all these different tie-ins? Like, obviously, we've covered on our podcast Nickelodeon Cartoon Channel. um, And to think that it was called Nickelodeon because of the the five-cent piece nickel. And then like Nickelodeon, Klasky uh, Chupo started Nickelodeon cartoons and then also was the first animation company for The Simpsons. Again, it, it's like kind of, you know, like uh, the evolution of the theater and screen media and, you know, kind of paying homage to where, you know, it began. 
And then that's actually where then the term, the word Nickelodeon is uh, double compound. It's uh, two different languages. It's good old U.S. English, the nickel, our five cent coin, and then Odeon, which is a Greek word. It's like a theater, right? Yeah. But it, so there's the general theaters. Uh, the Odeon was a smaller theater, generally about a quarter of the size. And it was always roofed with uh, acoustics for um, vocals specifically held in mind. So it was the reason it was smaller was because it was made more for uh, more like vocal choir performances without any having any electric amplification. So the the nickel Odeon was a small roofed place to see things that only cost one American five cent coin. And, you know, at the time that they first came out, they were depicted as disreputable and dangerous by civic groups and manipulated agencies. They thought that they were crude, uh, they were ill-ventilated, and the seats were hard. But as, like, films got longer and longer, uh, they made the transition to more comfortable, furnished and uh, well-maintained facilities to make sure that people continued to come. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, but 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 this Carl, this Carl uh, Lemley, Lemley fella. What about him? Well, okay. Like I said, started in Chicago, bought this place. He eventually expanded that place in the San Fernando Valley into a film distribution service called the Lemley Film Service, and then eventually a production company as independent moving pictures company known as the IMP later finally renamed universal film manufacturing company. And then finally, finally renamed universal pictures company. And then, uh, later on March 14th of 1915, Mr. Carl opened universal studios in a two day grand opening event with 10,000 attendees yeah, 10,000 motherfuckers show up so he's like oh this this is a good idea i like this i like this so then he invited the general public to see all the action for the admission fee just five cents five cents so that's where the nickelodeon ties back in it ties back in but also this this wasn't just a nickelodeon this nickel got you a little bit more didn't it Gotcha, a little bit more. Just a little bit. Included a boxed lunch with chicken. There's also a chance to buy fresh produce. And uh, there's actually a rural working farm at Universal City. Yeah, like we were saying before, Universal City, they had their own police force, their own mayor. I feel like this uh, fresh produce maybe is where the uh, native american people living on the premises came from because and like if it's if this is happening in like 1915 um again that would be right at the end of the nickelodeon's like you know success so he's coming right off of nickelodeon's people being like ah these are pretty neat but like you know, I, I wish I was getting more for my nickel. And he's like, oh, more for your nickel? Do you know I have a hobby of building these <laughs> Come things? See Come them see for them for nickel. nickel. <laughs> wow. Attention, attention. Tired of standing in front of a storefront to see a movies for a nickel? Come on down to Universal Studios. You nickel will get you a backlot tour and a box of chicken. Universal City at this point. 
Oh, yes. I'm sorry. Universal yes, City. Yes, of course. What I'm saying, bro, he's trying to build a city. He ain't trying to build a studio. He's trying to build a city. Come check out our city. Maybe you would like to live work for us too. We'll entice you with chicken. <laughs> so that original tour that started with the uh, box lunch with chicken, uh, it was discontinued around 1930 due to the advent of sound films and the stages that were built were not uh, very soundproofed. So like, you know, you hear chicken munching on every recording. Yeah. You hear people like uh, someone's trying to film their first fucking talkie movie and you just hear, man, this chicken's good, isn't it? Man, for a nickel, you can't beat that. Splatter sounds. Oh, I dropped my chicken. Oh, excuse me. Uh, this guy dropped his chicken. Can we get more chicken? All right. All right, guys. This Carl, It's Carl. Cool guy giving out chicken for a nickel. Chicken for a nickel. Great guy. Nickel chicken. But where chicken where does the where does the amusement park come in? Where does it turn from a city to a studio? You know, when did it become a park? Okay, so that is going to happen in um, about 1962. The accountant suggested that a new studio, a new tour in the studio would increase profits. And then they could make more movie, make more profits, get more people. They're like, hey, remember all those nickels we were making? <laughs> what if I told you you could be making dimes? Now? Let's go. Let's aim for dimes, baby. Hey, boys, you ever heard of quarters? Oh. So they took about two years, and on July 15th of 1964, the first modern tour was established that included a series of uh, dressing room walkthroughs. Uh, you could peek at actual production and uh, staged like uh, events that were like concurrent to things that were being produced by them type stuff yeah you see uh you know hey go check out the old jug band at universal <laughs> no but this is okay this is where over the years that idea that the accountants were like oh we can make money this is what made it grow into a full-blown theme park uh the narrated tram tours that still run that we've actually been to, well ryan brought me to when i visited i think we talked about it on the podcast already but uh, that uh, the active backlot that's now narrated by Jimmy Fallon. Yeah, but not literally. It's just a video, which is I thought I saw it. I was like, oh, Jimmy Fallon's here. God, he's, he's, his career's in the dumps. <laughs> but no, <laughs> the studio's backlot tour, uh, really cool. The staged events, the stunt demonstrations, the high tech rides, and all that they kind of overshadow the original uh, motion picture production. Thing that lured people to Universal in the first place? Well, uh, that's because in 1968, the Screen Actors Guild enacted a rule prohibiting visitors from most sound stages. Like we were talking about in a previous episode, they're sick of the shit. <laughs> they're sick of the shit, man. Post got pissed. Like, hey, we're trying to work here, and these people are having fun. What, what, what What's going on here? Yeah, seriously. So this new rule meant that the the tour we're talking about, the Backlock Tram, could no longer show visitors as in-depth or uh, into the real movie or television production as per- previous. Totally. It's not, it's, not the, uh, it's not the nickel chicken dinner it used to be, you know? 
Like, I mean, even when I was on the backlot, when we were on the backlot tour, it went through one part of it and it was like, oh, if this light turns on, it means that something's actually filming. Everyone has to be very quiet. There was one thing that was like uh, filming some Christmas thing. There was a bunch of fake snow on the ground and all that. And they're like, everyone be very quiet. They're filming. And then everyone's like quiet. And you just hear. <coughs> it's like, you can't stop that from happening. So I bet they just say to be quiet, to be like, oh, you're in a movie scene. Now you have to, you have to be quiet or else you're going to ruin the production. I feel like yeah, it's just. Cause I mean, otherwise, otherwise you're just taking a town of a random tour with no of buildings with nobody. Yeah, in literally. Them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's how it's like. Okay. So after the uh, uh, SAG team was like, we can't have people going through the sound stages and backstage and all that. And it's like, oh my goodness, is that the end of the backlot tour? Who just wants to drive on a trolley? You can do that anywhere. Uh, and that was the uh, the birth of the next phase of Universal Things. Their first special effects attraction, we'll call it. It was uh, the Flash Flood set. It provided to be a hit. 20,000 gallons of water rushed 20 feet below a narrow Mexican village street uprooting the old tree and threatening to engulf, engulf the tram that you are currently seated on. Super scary. Oh, kind of uh, uh, virtualistic in a sense where you kind of feel part of the set, part of the idea. It's like SAG was like, hey, you can't go back, back lot. And then they're like, okay, what are we going to do now? That same year is when they added that. We'll make, make our own special stage for them. That's pretty neat and everything, but what the fuck does that have to do with the Simpsons? All right. Fuck, you're right. What are we fucking this far in? We haven't said shit about it. All right. I guess, you know what? We'll we'll get into uh, how, how the Simpsons tie in. And we'll do it right after this short break. All right. Again. Johnny answered the question. What has this got to do with the Simpsons? All right. All right. I got this one. I got this one. In, uh, in April of 2014, the park announced Springfield with a new dining complex to be built around the Springfield ride, or I'm sorry, the Simpsons ride. And then it opened on March 28th of 2015. Yes. The Simpsons ride gives guests the chance to join the Simpsons on a trip to Krusty Land. During the ride, you'll grab a seat on an indoor simulated roller coaster ride where you'll careen and crash through the theme park with Homer, Marge, Bart, Lisa, and Maggie in over-the-top, non-stop, exhilarated adventure. Keep an eye out for cameos from some of Springfield's fan-favorite characters as you adventure through the town. But, Dad, I'm hungry. Well, there's always something for the kiddos. Signature eateries from Krusty Burger to Luigi's Pizza and Phineas Q. Butterfat's Ice Cream Parlor, featuring over 5,600 flavors. All right, nerd corner time, just real quick. Uh, so, the Phineas Q. Butterfat... Ice cream parlor might be uh, a little bit of a deep joke for some of you guys. Uh, it originally airs in Nisha's Pony, 
Pops, and the mascot was an ice cream cone with blue swirls at the top. Making it resemble Marge Simpson. Um, because of this, when Nagy, we know little baby Nagy, uh, she's such a little adventure, but she deeply missed Marge because Marge had to part for a spa to release Jess after a particularly terrible day. She snuck out of this house and called all the way over the polar mascot and sleeping there, thinking it was her mama. She's all nice. But the police, they thought uh, um, Officer Wiggum ain't the smartest one. They thought she was trying to commit suicide jump. I don't know baby commits suicide jump. But uh, oh, Homer Simpson also ordered the biggest Sunday of his life. And uh, he got so excited, he fainted. And he began a funny little ice cream man face with a little ice cream eyes and uh, banana face. But he wasn't breathing, so that wasn't good for him. So uh, back to you, commercial man. These damn kids are getting on my last nerve. Is there anything for me? For angry sober dads, take refuge in classic watering holes like Moe's Tavern and Duff Brewery. But what about me? I'm getting the vapors. Sorry, ma'am. No Valium is sold at Universal Springfield Attraction. You have to go into North Hollywood for that. Okay, okay. So The Simpsons is now owned by Disney, right? So wouldn't wouldn't you be able to see Homer in all these attractions in Disneyland and Disney World? Well, how do how are they still in Universal Studios? It doesn't, you know. Yeah, shouldn't they be leaving Universal and going to Disney at this point? Uh, I guess Universal uh, will allegedly be losing the theme park rights to the Simpsons in 2028. And when that happens, Disney will have the rights to the Simpsons again. But that's to say, will Disney let Universal extend their contract or will they try and move it over? So far, it looks that Universal people are not too uh, confident that they will have that. And since that is the uh, predictions on their end, they're winding down on selling merchandise with the Simpsons on it. They haven't upgraded or have uh, planned expansions to the land, and they don't even feature them in promotional uh, aspects or anything anymore. So I think they're moving away from the Simpsons land. But but the Simpsons ha- has been renewed for seasons 35 and 36. So... They have. Uh, And I think it's one of those things, kind of like the Marvel and Sony thing, where it's a a slow rollout. I feel like they're going to be able to continue things for a bit, and it's going to be a smooth baton pass between the two. How smooth is Homer choking his son going to go into Disneyland from Universal? Beer drinking, you know, making jokes on religion. A clown who's chain smoking. It's not going to work, bro. It's not going to happen. Okay. So that I've heard that argument many a time uh, where it's like, oh, Disney can't do certain things. You know, you can't have Disney plus you have Frozen uh, four clicks away from an R-rated movie. 
uh, that can't happen. So when Disney picks something up, it's going to have to be a different way. Uh, doesn't seem like that. Because a lot of the different things they have at Disney, they have a lot of R-rated shit, a lot of R-rated stuff. Uh, but it's like, you know, even at Universal, you go to, you go to Moe's Tavern, you don't see uh, Barney slumped over the bar. You don't see, uh, you know, uh, Homer choking his son. It's not a part of the the theme. Yeah, but you very rarely see even alcohol in Disneyland or Disney World. You know, it's only one selected side, and it's a few selected areas that serve low key alcohol. There's not people walking around with beers, and I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't know if Disney would be able to adapt. Well, when was the last time you went to Disney? When the fuck was the last time you went to Disney? I live down the street. <laughs> I've never been to. Disney. I've, I've never been to Disney. I'll tell you that right now. Uh, but all my years of California, no Disney adventure for me yet. I feel like even if they do have the rights until 2028, I wouldn't be surprised if Disney just extended their contract for Universal because they already have all that stuff set up. Oh, no, dude. They'll just put it, they'll put, they'll put a new mask on it. They'll put a new skin over it. Make it a different tavern from a different show, they'll probably buy Cheers or something weird like that. <laughs> Everyone, come on down to Universal and go to Cheers World. Where you can ride past everyone who knows your name. Come on now. <laughs> <laughs> Just you going through the ride like, hey, Ryan. Hey, Alex. Hey, Johnny. Oh, hey, how's it going? Oh, uh. Next thing you know, hey, Ryan. Hey, Alex. Hey, John. Holy fuck. These people really do all uh, know our names. But I mean, okay. So from what I've seen with like Disney parks, it seems like like, you know, Disney obviously has a huge following with their movies and cartoons and parks in general. But it seems like a lot of the people that go to their parks, they don't want new things. They just want the same old, same old that they've been seeing their whole lives. They don't want, you know, the haunted fucking castle ride to be the new Simpsons ride. People are going to be pissed about that. I think. I don't know. I've never been. So then they can just rehash the old stuff. Okay. So say, hypothetically, uh, Universal runs out of their contract with the Simpsons. They tear it all down. And then Disney does the Simpsons world thing. I'm going to the dumpster so I could get a life-size Homer. <laughs> right? <laughs> Scorch and brimstone so no one can scavenge any memorabilias. No one shall remember the stain upon Universal. Purge it with fire. No, like we talked about in the last episode is is the the marketing behind and licensing behind the Simpsons is obviously very delicate and fragile and uh they have Disney lawyers in behind them t- to write contracts. So I don't I don't feel like I, this might be the end of Springfield land. You're thinking in the next five years, it's going to be done. I'm thinking, I'm thinking it's going to be done. All right. Well, you heard it here first guys. Uh, if you want to go see Springfield, Springfield, if you want to go see Springfield at universal studios in Hollywood, California, make your trip out within the next five years, because after that, it might be gone forever. And who knows what's going to happen with the show itself. Only time will tell.
Is is that about it, guys? I think that's it for the studios, for the park, the studios, the city. I'm done with the Universal. The theme park, the film, the writer's strike, the Simpsons, all the things that happened in between that we didn't get to talk about. But it's all Universal. Universal. <laughs>